the one thing that you need to be aware of, learning these tools is fun and, and studying these problems is fun and digging into the data and things like that. But always the thing that you need to keep in the back of your head is what am, what am I doing this for and how is this going to end up being applied? How, how does this eventually end up benefiting the bird, benefiting the producer, um, making our food safer, right? higher quality, inexpensive? A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming soon. The brightest minds of the global poultry industry will be right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like At JBI, we apply biosecurity innovation and expertise to keep your operations safe. DSM, helping customers with efficient and sustainable poultry production. AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. JBI helps poultry producers fight against harmful pathogens with the foaming power of D7 disinfectant. JBI prevents costly outbreaks and assures eco-friendly biosecurity on farm and in transport. D7 disinfectant is safe and effective against AI, E. coli, Salmonella, Cocci, Dermatitis, and other illness-causing pathogens. It is non-toxic, providing a safer environment for your employees. D7 is also minimally corrosive to equipment and breaks down biofilms. Learn more at jbidistributors.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show. I'm your host today, Dr. Karen Grogan. And joining me today is Dr. Ryan Arsenault. Ryan is a um, associate professor in the Department of Animal and Food Sciences at the University of Delaware. Um, he received a PhD in biochemistry from the University of Saskatchewan, where he um, conducted doctoral research at the Vaccine Infectious Disease or- Organization. And then he did postdoc training at USDA Agricultural Research Service. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Thank you. Good to be here. Excellent. So um, why don't you tell us about uh, your current research um, uh, there at uh, Delaware and, um, you know, what your interests are currently? Sure. So my research here has kind of been a continuation of of my postdoctoral work at ARS. Um, I guess for those that don't know my background, I uh, my PhD work was in doing proteomics and specifically cell signal transduction through phosphorylation and studying uh, host pathogen interaction with that technique and brought that into the poultry world when I uh, started at ARS and specifically in gut health. And signal transduction, proteomics, um, that kind of omics work was relatively new in poultry disease pathogenesis. Um, So we sort of or the initial disease was salmonella, a food safety issue, an issue in, in the poultry industry that we're trying to to grapple with continuously, it seems. Um, and it's a particularly, I think it's a particularly interesting issue because the chickens don't care. Right. For the most part, whether they have salmonella or not. No. The bugs are there and they don't necessarily get sick. Um, yeah, they're just... 
there hanging out and then create a problem when it enters the food source. So Yeah, and I I find that a, a, a fun problem to work on because it's not a typical disease. It's not right. where you're trying to treat a disease, help the immune system to get healthier quicker. You're actually wanting the immune system to, hey, look at this. You should respond to this. You should take care of this and make it go away. So what has your work um, led you to understand in terms of how how is salmonella sort of been not maybe it's is it invading the host cell you know host immune cells is it hiding out is it not listening to signals um what is your your research shown in terms of that so what we found is that if you give a chick a, a newly hatched chick a challenge with salmonella they will respond they will treat it like a disease and they'll okay. respond to it in a in a way you would expect of other animals that that ha- treat salmonella like a infectious disease. But if you wait a period of time, four to seven days, it's about that fast post hatch, they will start to respond to it as if it was a commensal microbe yeah. in the gut. And we sort of tracked this. Uh, this was a, a lot of this work. The foundation of it was laid when I was, like I said, it was was at ARS and then on to UD, where we tracked sort of this, we call it the tolerogenic response, where the immune system has this mechanism in place to tolerate the bugs of the microbiome. Right. And that's a good thing. And you want that because- you want that. We're getting Those microbiomes are important. Right. right. But the, it's do, the chickens are doing that with salmonella. Food safety- concerning uh, strains of salmonella. And what what strains have you looked at that mechanism in? Um, So what challenge organisms did you use for that? So we've looked at um, Heidelberg, Enteritidis, and Typhimurium. Okay. The three three big important. Right. (laughs) And, And so then, you know, so if it's recognizing the salmonella as a, as a commensal, what strategies... Um, have you looked at sort of as a next step? So, so how can we alter that? Can we alter their immune recognition or can we, you know, try to, to decrease, you know, increase the good gut flora, um, to try to outnumber the salmonella? Um, I don't, you know, that would be sort of a logical next step in your research. Right. So it's interesting because we, the, the other disease that I've looked at sort of the pathogenesis of is necrotic enteritis. And, Another complicated right. disease. You pick the simple ones, <laughs> right? Right, and and that was there was sort of a, a a deviation from the salmonella work into the necrotic enteritis work while I was at UD, and now I've kind of like moved back towards salmonella. So doing both at the same time has really made my perspective, I think, unique or at least different than both the people that are strictly working on necrotic enteritis and the people strictly working on salmonella, because the people strictly working on salmonella often the logical approach, and it is logical, is to induce some kind of immune response. And and often the, the simplest one to attempt to induce would be an innate inflammatory response. But that is exactly the opposite of the thing you would want to do in the context of a coccidiosis or clostridium perfringens challenge. So in the back of our minds is always, let's not make something else worse by attempting to deal with this pathogen. We, we certainly don't want to break more frequently with necrotic enteritis because we're trying to prevent 
salmonella contamination of poultry products. So I, I'm leery of the attempts to sort of knock back homeostatic or anti-inflammatory responses to induce pro-inflammatory or pro-immune responses to the salmonella. I think we have to be a bit more nuanced with that because we'll we'll cause problems in other realms of poultry gut health. Um, so what what we've simultaneously with all this work, because of the technology I use with the with the post-translational modification, we were actually able to look at metabolic signaling as well as immune signaling. And we started to integrate those. I when I was doing my my work designing the the arrays to study the signaling and these are chicken specific so they had to be designed around the chicken genome and proteome i had a metabolic array and a immune array that were designed separately and when i for some reason i decided i was going to put all the data into a, an interaction database and see if there were any links and it turned out that they were completely cross-linked and there was no distinction between the two processes. And I thought this this is really important, this is really interesting, and I thought I discovered something completely novel. And then I went to the literature and realized that on the human side, the concept of immunometabolism had been around for, for years. So we've really adopted that perspective when it comes to poultry health and poultry disease and poultry um, interventions. Okay. So in your time with poultry, I'm sure that you realized, you know, they're kind of on a a, a knife's edge in terms of a metabolic plane. Right. Um, so what, what I'm reading through here is we're doing ourselves no favors um, in terms of some of these, you know, gut health conditions by keeping them there, you know, we're we're down we're in it we're in an industry that that operates on fractions of cents um you know so everything is um least cost so so if you're saying that you know this is very um you know there there's a metabolic factor here what what things are important to go into the diet of you know the two things you're you're discussing are really important in terms of a broiler um health in terms of necrotic enteritis and then now salmonella on the food safety side um, so in terms of those two diseases in your work, what, what have you found that's nutritionally important? So we've, the, the aspect, the other aspect of this, uh, and a roundabout way to answer your question is the other thing we've been looking at along with the, the post-pathogen interaction is a lot of the work, probably half of the work that I've done since I've been at, uh, University of Delaware has been studying the mechanism of action of antibiotic alternatives in the context of challenge. Okay. And we we rarely see a good one that only impacts the immune system in a in one direction, either dampening it or activating it, and we rarely see that there's not a metabolic consequence as well. So this this the, the more effective ones seem to be what we call immunomodulatory. They sort of establish a homeostasis that provides a better baseline of response to a to a subsequent challenge and th- and that's across the board we've looked at heat stress cold stress viruses bacteria parasites and as you say the metabolic aspect is part of it is we've we've likely made the the birds we we've shifted them because of our 
production goals mm-hmm. in one direction. A- and right. the interventions, while they don't reduce productivity, they, they so- seem to shift them back to a more balanced state. Um, so th- like you said, that's something that is always something we look at is we're already we're already over here right to start with um how do we get back to to a baseline and that's a better position to to approach the response i think that you know i i can i can appreciate um i think a lot of these products that we're see coming onto the market as antibiotic alternatives um are are poorly understood um so i appreciate that you're you're doing that work to try to understand the their mechanisms of action um, and when you say um, immunomodulators, what what has your research shown that they're actually doing? Like, what are you measuring in terms of what effect they're having? Mm-hmm. So, so the the sort of the spectrum of what you would expect if you were if you were measuring immune and metabolic processes. So the 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 major metabolic pathways: glycolysis, fatty acid oxidation, protein um, catabolism, and anabolism. Um, those are the general things we're looking at on the metabolic side. On the immune side, we're looking at the innate immune, the big main immune signals, TLR signaling, um, the uh, the inflammasome signaling, and then and then the T and B cell. So we can sort of see, oh, this is up, this is down. When you do this, th- th- these pathways are active or these pathways are turned off, um, and it depends on the what challenge you're looking at and what alternative you're looking at to which what how the response breaks out i have um i've have two students one just graduated she's actually at ars now uh casey johnson she's looking at some um some botanicals okay and has some really interesting she has a really interesting um framework for how she sees what an effective natural antibiotic is and i don't want to give away her her uh her her approach because she's writing her paper the paper right now and then uh a student i have that's graduating this year from Otto perry she's looking at butyrate and she's seen again this is an interesting um when you when you think about it in this sort of broader scope we think of butyrate as either something that enhances efficiency or is anti-inflammatory or both but she's seen um, in her data that there's actually a, a wide variety of gene expression changes and it it really acts as a um, immune altering and, uh, and not in the way you think. It, it actually will, right. will boost responses. Right. Um, so it's, it's not purely a feed component and it's not purely an anti-inflammatory because it, it'll get into the cell and it'll actually alter histone um, effects and change gene expression levels. So it's fun to pick this stuff apart. Right. Um, so I, I think that, you know, um, the, the type of research that you do is, is sort of like the forefront, um, you know, in terms of, you know, proteomics and, and all of, you know, the omics are kind of the, 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 the areas where we're expanding, um, our work. So you've, You've looked at salmonella. You've looked at necrotic enteritis. What's what's your next step in terms of? Um, are you what do you plan to continue with those um, challengers in terms of uh, poultry health, or do you have new areas that you're expanding into? I think those will be the the ones we sort of stick with because they're the biggest problems on 
on the, for necrotic arthritis in the production limiting sense and for salmonella in the regulatory sense that and and I I there's rumblings with FDA and USDA that salmonella is going to get cracked down on harder and I'm right. talking to producers they're like we we will do what you ask us to do but you have yeah. to tell us what to do what and that is how, what you want us right and will it work uh, so the producers are are in a frustrating situation because they're being regulated and increasingly right. so, but there's no tools for them to right. to respond. So, so these two problems, I I am keen to to stick with, and we are um, we're looking at feeding in effectiveness. It, I, and I, I'm I'm sort of agnostic about the alternative, what it will be, or it, or if it's a macronutrient alteration. I, I we just want to find something that works, and and I I am not a advocate of going backwards in terms of genetics, or going backwards in terms of of our feed formulations to to make a slower growing chicken, for example, or something like that. Um, the poultry industry is too important in feeding the world right. to cut back on our ability to do that. I think. Right advancing the science and advancing our understanding and solving the problems by going forward is the better approach. Right. In terms of that, you know, some of our opponents to the poultry industry say that we, we've we created these things. Um, you know, so it's interesting in terms of, and, and a lot of the things um, they say that, you know, we create salmonella um, by housing, you know, uh, burrs and the conditions in which we house them that, you know, chickens naturally um people don't our opponents say that if we grew just like you were saying that if we grew chickens slower we didn't grow them in intensive operations that um we wouldn't see the types of diseases that we have do you do you feel that those arguments are valid i think that there's overall no <laughs> because because right. of what we do for limiting disease in poultry and biosecurity and things like that. So we are trying to prevent disease. We are trying, uh, a perfect example is avian influenza, the outbreak that's going on right now. We're currently in the largest avian influenza outbreak in poultry in the history of the United States. Yes, we are. If the public knew the the efforts that the industry and the producers and the, the state governments, et cetera, go to, to limit disease and to limit the spread of avian influenza, they would be amazed. I teach a class, I teach a first year lab class where we talk about biosecurity and all the different ways that we attempt to prevent disease. The um, the the food safety and the disease burden when you leave the barn, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is much larger than when you're in the barn. It, the the parasitic infections, the helminth infections, right. the 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 preda- the predation, right. the stress they're put People under, and the stress is higher. Right. So so the these these ideas of of like well pa- we pack them together and thus this happens. Yeah. Um, there may be individual cases where a certain pathogen may spread more efficiently inside than outside. Um, for example, but they're also people are also often surprised when they go into a barn oh, that they have so. they have room, they have space, right? Well, them space <laughs> and it's temperature controlled, and yeah, you know, 
in in the South when we get to 90 and 100 degrees and it's nice and cool and comfortable and they are surprised when. Um, so I, I do want to kind of circle back to something that you mentioned in terms of um, salmonella. We are seeing increased regulatory pressure potentially coming from FSIS. And I think there is some, you know, frustration within the industry of we are doing a lot of things and we have done a lot of things. Right. Um, what is your your research focus in terms of that? In terms of supporting, I know the industry there on on the Delmarva um, is dealing with the same challenges. What what do you see as far as okay, maybe here's another tool um, that could help us um, in terms of uh, controlling that and controlling that food those you know the food safety concerns. Yeah, and and assuming that we can't find something that will. We can't find the magic bullet in our research to induce the chicken to clear the salmonella. Right. You can find that. You'll be like, you know, Nobel, you know, right, prize winning. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but but I think it goes right from from litter management, litter amendments, um, the through to to the the feed and the the immunomodulation that we can applied to the processing plant like this is going to be a this is one of those full spectrum approaches there's gonna every tool right i think i think that's part of what is not fresh i think the industry realizes that that we have to use every tool in in the toolbox that we have in terms of salmonella control and and it starts you know way up the line um like you were talking in terms of genetic selection and looking at the immune system and and then as it comes into the, you know, the broiler, using everything that you can in terms of like litter amendments and, you know, but everybody wants the one, the one silver bullet right. that will, you know, eliminate the problem. But I, I think like you, you were explaining that the, the bird is seeing it not as a threat um, and it's seeing it as a, as a commensal. So I think the challenge is, is even higher uh, in terms of trying to get uh, the bird to, to respond. And the other aspect is that we, we've seen these shifts in strains. Um, we've seen right. shifts from, from Typhomerium to Heidelberg to, to Kentucky. And Infantis. And Infantis. And, and, yeah. and I, this is speculation on my part, but I wonder if our efforts aren't working. Right. It's just that there's, just... there's this ecological niche that exists in poultry and in this I system. Totally, I totally agree. And it it just the next one it, will the next it. one's going to move in. Right. Like we're okay now. Our focus is like you know Heidel. You know the focus was Heidelberg for a while. Okay, we got it down. We see Infantis come into play, and I think very much you know there is a spot in the chicken gut and probably even other producing animals as well. There is a place for Salmonella, and that's where this bacteria has figured out. Hey, I can just live a happy existence here. Right, um, right. But when it's regulated and the industry will have to respond um, and meet performance standards, that makes it a challenge. Yes, and it and you're you're fighting nature at that point. Right. Um, where and right. I do think it with necrotic enteritis, it's a similar problem, but we have we're 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 not fighting the bird with it. So, for example, right. I I do believe that there are these perturbations of the chicken gut homeostasis, whether it's a coccidiosis infection, right. non-starch polysaccharides, stress yes. that opens up a niche for CP. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You you just create, and, and I have I have 
customers ask me all the time, well, what is it? And I was like, it's this long list of things that could create this one little micro environment that clustering is just going to bloom and grow. Um, and I think that's what is, again, everybody wants an easy fix and to be able to, to alter one thing to fix necrotic enteritis. And I'm sure your research has shown that it's not <clears throat> like you're saying, it's those, you know, small alter, you know, what is a, a could be one alteration can just be enough to flip the switch. Right. And, and I think we, we probably have in the, in the genetics and the feed formulation pushed the system for productivity purposes right. um, toward that tipping point. And, and without sacrificing the industry, how do we yeah. augment or ameliorate that? And then it's not unique to, to poultry. Um, the dairy industry sees similar yeah. immunometabolic issues. We had a, a, I had a colleague here at, in Delaware that studied um, dairy cows and, mm-hmm. and some of the, the hoof issues Right. that they had that and and he suspected and I agree with him that pushing the system right. you're inevitably going to see consequences of that but but that's what we're for that's what we're here for that's what animal scientists right. poultry scientists are, are here for is to solve those problems so it, it, if you were um, like say um, you know a live production manager and you're dealing with um, you know necrotic enteritis in your complex what's like the one message you know, people people come in and try to sell you, like you're talking about these antibiotic alternatives, um, on the regular. Mm-hmm. Um, what in your research, you know, what are like the? I know it's a long list, but what are the like say four key things that you found in your research in chronic enteritis that our listeners could take um, out of this in terms of, you know, here's some key areas you should focus on on what they can do. Yeah, um, uh, for sure. The first one would be the environmental conditions. So uh, keeping the litter as dry as possible, keeping the humidity controlled for for um, any kind of growth that's happening in there. The, the coccidiosis is the obvious one that um, people think about, um, but and the and the clostridium perfringens. But the the less stress on the birds and that temperature, humidity, the the litter quality, the litter. Um, basically how wet it is right one keep it and and amend it and those things um and then one another one's feed quality which is hard for the producers to deal with but maybe the integrators can um look at that like sometimes for example i've heard people talk about um sometimes the fats and the oils and the feed if they're a little bit uh, if they're if they're on the verge of going rancid, for right. example, or quality, right? Quality, yes, you're going to put sure. that same, and that's a, that's a very clear stress that I could draw a direct line to the gut because rancid fats, you you can follow the the secondary metabolites that are generated in the gut of those and how that inflames the the epithelial lining and and CP to me CP um, is it looks like it's a meat eater. So any kind of weird protein shift, including self-protein of the chicken, right. it's going to start eating it. And gotcha. that's why we get those lesions and things like that. So avoiding that that source of bloom for the CP is always going to be the thing in the back of your head. And stresses and all those panoply of stresses are the things to avoid. Excellent. It is time to our famous three. 
The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Ataseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable ways. A worldwide leader in animal nutrition, Ataseo's portfolio of products includes methionine, the full range of vitamins, enzymes, organic selenium, probiotics, mycotoxin management strategies, and palatability products. With such a diverse offering, Ataseo supports its customers with a broad range of expertise, tools, and services to help them maintain a competitive advantage. Ataseo, fueling predictable profits. To learn more, visit Ataseo at www.ataseo.com. Ryan, thanks for joining us in the Poultry Podcast. I think we've, we've covered a lot of topics um, in our time today. Um, what are some, uh, what's some advice that you would give students that are, you know, sort of interested in this sort of uh, cutting edge technology that you're using in terms of um, proteomics or, you know, uh, the next phase research? Uh, how can they get interested in, in what you do? The one thing that you need to be aware of. Learning these tools is fun and, and studying these problems is fun and digging into the data and things like that. But always the thing that you need to keep in the back of your head is what am, what am I doing this for and how is this going to end up being applied? How, how does this eventually end up benefiting the bird, benefiting the producer, um, making our food safer, right? higher quality, inexpensive... So the, I see that disconnect and, and you see that sometimes with certain, even in, even in the poultry science world, there is a, there are people that will look askance when you talk about, well, I'm going to start, oh. I'm going to present this all mixed work now. And it's like, they're like, oh, nope, I'm out. Right, right. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to this. I, I can understand. But, I can it's see our, but it's our job as the people doing that type of research to yeah. say, no, it's not all just scary figures and spreadsheets yeah. and mile and masses of data it's masses of data this is how it's going to this is how we can apply it this is how we can take it and benefit um and and it's we need this we need this approach as well as the 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 classic approaches that we've been doing forever right. and it's the um the linking of those two the the feed the feed trials the large feed trials and the things like that that we need to see effect, like you said, because it's right. pennies. We're, we're working with pennies per bird here, or less right. fractions of fractions. pennies per bird. Yeah. yeah. And what I, what I, one of the easiest ways I explain this is, if we understand mechanism of action, that happens in every bird every time. When you do a large feed trial, depending on where you're doing it, the conditions, if it's a clean facility, a dirty facility, in the field, not in the field, a lot of things can alter that that result. So it's hard to get a consistent fraction of a pound measurement every time. But a cell that interacts with a salmonella or a cell that interacts with a clostridium perfringens or an antibiotic alternative compound, it's going to respond the same way, whether that bird's in Georgia or Delaware, a university facility or a a field trial somewhere. 
Excellent. I, I, I think that the, the two things, you know, overlap. I think we probably in all these years of classic research, we've missed a lot of the things that you're now, you know, looking at. Um, and I think that all of the information, there's a, a wealth of information that's been out there. We just haven't been able to measure. Um, so I, I find all of this work fascinating. Um, and uh, we really appreciate you um, being on the podcast today. And um, thank you, everyone, for joining in. And uh, thank you for your time, Ryan. Thank you. Glad to do it. <laughs>